This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Amos 8 on Thanksgiving Sunday. Boy, not a lectionary text, that's for sure. That would all be more soothing. But I actually think that we can handle these texts. We don't have to dodge them. Right? Because what do we have in us that grounds us? The love of Christ. Amos has a point. Amos calls us to listen and pay attention. Amos doesn't put it gently because Amos doesn't want us to discount the words. Amos starts with this beautiful image, a basket of summer fruit. And I promise you, there have been many, many pastors who've wanted to pull this beautiful image out and ignore all the rest of what comes after the chapter because this is what we want. These are Camise pears, by the way, right? I have learned about these since moving here. (laughs) This is what we want. From the time we are small and we hear about God in Sunday school, from the time that an angel touches our hearts and we know something in this world is deeply good even when our circumstances are not. When we're young, when we're youth, when we go to youth camp or when we have, uh, we, we go with a friend and we have these conversations. I remember my, my having three seven-year-old boys in the back room of the house playing together and then the play stopped and they got kind of quiet and you know how every mother gets suspicious when that happens. And I go back there and you know what they're talking about? God. They're having this deep seven-year-old conversation about God being love and God being good. And wrestling with what it means to be bad when God is good. Theodicy at seven. This beautiful basket of fruit. And it's filled with the water of creation. As Dorita talked about, that water has turkey in it. So these pears were plumped on the waters that we just baptized Tobias with. Coming down from into our gardens all across southern Oregon and plumping our fruit, making it so beautiful and delicious. And Amos holds this out as possibility for us. This is what we could have. This is what we could be and do in this world if we just did it. But we don't. Amos challenges us, calls us out, says we don't listen to the prophets, that we trample down the poor, that we sell the needy for a pair of sandals. That's a heavy charge. In the United States, often these things are more hidden from us, but it only takes a little traveling to see where we have exported our poverty so that someone else has to feel it and not us. And it's such a deep and intricate web that we don't even know what to do about it. It's overwhelming. 
But there isn't a one of us that doesn't care a lot about it and want to do good. And I want to affirm that every step we take matters. Every time. Sometimes I lament of modern Christianity and the modern life because we have become very commodification-oriented. We buy and sell things. We literally sell our water. We literally go into communities, bottle their water up for sale, or um, frack. Those reservoirs are ancient. We don't get them back after we destroy them. They feed our lands. They fill our pears with water and sweet honey from the plant together. I went to Standing Rock like many people did, and it was something I felt such a strong call to do. And, you know, the, what I learned, you know, how much I believed that what happened in this country is okay, that we're, 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 we're the cowboy heroes that are taming the West. And you know, part of those stories are true. Our, our my, my husband's family came across on the Oregon Trail. Part of what they believed they were doing was opening the West and living their life. Their hearts were filled with joy. Some of them were escaping bond servitude. Some of them had never had their own land. It's like the story of Exodus, where the, the Jews flee Egypt. But what about the Canaanites? They kind of already lived in that land. In that struggle, that tension with people on the move, and at Standing Rock, that conversation was like just there in a very loving and prayerful way. I wore the collar, but there were a lot of people in Standing Rock who had been wounded by Christianity, <coughs> by some of the prophets that are so vocal in our news media who claim that God creates earthquakes to punish gay people or that God would harm would not love certain people. Like, boggles my mind. These are, these are, Jesus, Jesus is frustrated too with the prophets of the time. Jesus lifts up those who were actually not in his immediate wisdom tradition because the prophets are so busy serving the high priests and the Romans that they have stopped actually serving God. So it is the Samaritan woman with whom he has this conversation about living water. It's a Samaritan woman who he says, you drink of this water and you'll never be thirsty again. And she asks him, where is the temple? What is, what, the, the Judeans, they think Jerusalem is where the temple should be. And uh, the Samarian, Samaritans, they think uh, that in Samaria, Mount Gerizim, that's where the temple should be. There were two temples. And Jesus dodges that question. He doesn't play the either-or game. He, he says it's more than that. It's more than temples. The time will come 
when we will worship God in spirit and in truth. Do you worship God in spirit and in truth? Do you? Can you? Do you get what Jesus is saying there, that we can free ourselves of the square boxes that we put ourselves in? We can step away from the prophets who would say you are not loved or this group is not loved or that group is not loved. And we can see each other. Our prophets in this time, many are coming from outside the Christian wisdom traditions because we're not listening. And I, at Standing Rock, the, the wisdom that was shared there, the voices of the prophets of those who prayed while armed riot gear, policemen, stood opposed to them. Who shall we cast as wicked here? because I'll guarantee you, you've been trained to see one or the other as wicked. Is it possible that a time will come when neither shall be considered good and neither shall be considered wicked, but all shall worship God in spirit and truth? Is it possible that in Christ, in loving Christ, we are called to do more than one or the other? I wanted to read uh, the words of Black Elk. I have a few things that I want to read, a few voices I want to bring in. He was a shaman, Ogala Lakota Sioux, and he dictated his life story to a man named John Nehart who used a translator. And so we're getting this story third hand yet. He shared this vision. He said, you have noticed that everything an Indian does is in a circle and that it is because the power of the world always works in circles and everything tries to be round. Everything the power of the world does is done in a circle. The sky is round and I have heard the, the earth is round like a ball and so are the stars. The wind in its greatest power swirls. Birds make nests in circles for theirs is the same religion as ours. The sun comes forth and goes down in a circle. The moon does the same and both are round. Even the seasons form a great circle in their changing and always come back again to where they were. The life of a man is a circle from childhood to childhood. And so it is with everything where power moves. Our teepees are round like the nests of birds and these were always set in a circle, the nation's hoop, a nest of many nests where the great spirit meant us to hatch our children. But the whites have put us in these square boxes. We are prisoners of war while waiting here. But there is another world. And in reading this, I could so get drawn into the vision, seeing the roundness of the roundness, thinking of the Greco-Romans and the great classical theologies that see the sphere as the perfect shape. And that in the beginning, before things changed, everything was spherical. And how this connects across continents, across millennia, across peoples. 
and how too often I get caught in square boxes. And too often, I defend that box. And too often, I don't worship in spirit and in truth. I have another reading. This one is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is this beloved modern writer and a modern prophet in his own way. And he says, we are to shine as the sun. We are to be given the morning star. I think I begin to see what it means. In one way, of course, God has given us the morning star already. You can go and enjoy the gift on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. What more, we ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more, something the poets and the mythologies all knew about. We don't want to merely see beauty. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. We want to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We cannot mingle with the splendors that we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that this will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. When the Samaritan woman talks about the temple, Jesus says, someday, even now, the kingdom is coming and we shall worship God in spirit and truth. As walled in as we can feel, we are already invited to the other side of the door. We need only open it and look out into the round world and understand ourselves as deeply part of all of creation, not on top of it, not underneath it, but living, breathing, watering beings made of it all, the dust of stars and the ancient soils are all part of us, all of us. I had the incredible honor of spending a little time with JP and Tracy and Corby in Virginia. I adore that part of getting to know people and takes, you know, anyway, I love it. I hope other people love it as much as I do or people aren't like, oh gosh, she's here. I'm like, Lord help me. But one of the things I do is I ask, tell me, tell me about your faith life. Tell me about what stories call to you. And Virginia shared something that I'd like to share and I asked if it was okay if I did. She talked about how when she was a girl, uh, she was, uh, her moment of sort of recognizing faith waking up inside her and coming on purpose to God was a, a service where there was a hymn playing and she remembered the hymn was called I Am Resolved. And the hymn 
came back to her, and she sat there, and she sang it for us. And we were absolutely blown away. It was this, like the holy moment opened up. The door opened wide. The boxes were all gone. We sat there worshiping God in spirit and in truth, listening to these beautiful words. And it just resonated with me, stuck with me. I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is... I see a kindred spirit here. How deeply I understand this longing to be with God. How deeply I've been angered and frustrated by all the ways that God can be withheld or it can end up feeling estranged or somebody slams the door in my face and says, you're not welcome and you're not good enough. That, that Amos calls us to that sometimes it is when you are denied something that you get how deeply good and important it is and how much you are hungry for it. The woman who comes to the well, she is dying of thirst for God, for healing in her life, for a word of hope, for transformation. Do you believe in the power of God to transform us for the transformation of the world? Do you believe in the power of the Spirit by our baptism to be deeply and fully reborn in Christ? Do we believe in the call upon us as Christian people to protect the planet, its lush grasses, its great deserts, its summer fruits, its glaciers and its seas and all that it is and all that lives and breathes and swims and flies and crawls upon the earth? Do we rejoice in our own lives and the lives of the other beloved children of God on this planet? And then if so, are we resolved to no longer linger in that which bewitches us away from God, but to jump into the living water of the font, to hasten to Jesus, the greatest and the highest? Will you come with me? Will you lay aside all evil doing? Will you listen to the woman at the well? Will you immerse with me in the truth, the water, and the life? For I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's